Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. And on the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello. We have the best show today. The most delicious show. (laughs) For sure. And you know what's good, too, is not only do you get chocolate, but you actually get someone who is near you, Megan, because this company is right in the Portland area where you are. I, know, I just imagine you right now talking to me and your your face is just smeared with chocolate. It is. How did you know? You've been, you've been binging all day, you know? So, <laughs> so I'm going to have to talk to more about that to Peter Zandi, who is the U.S. sales manager for Tony's Chocolate Only. Did I say it right, Peter? How are you doing? That's correct. No, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the, on the show. And, uh, and Megan, if, if your face indeed is covered in chocolate, I, I do want to see a picture of that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our show note, uh, had our header for our blog post. That's right. On the that's show. right. That's Perfect. right. That's what you do it anyways. So, Peter, to begin, let's talk a little bit about uh, Tony's in terms of the background of the company. And, you know, you had mentioned before we got on the line that Tony's is really expanding across the country, which is fantastic. And hopefully we'll reach my area, the Boston area soon. But give us a little background about how Tony's was established. And then we'll talk a little bit about your cause initiatives. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so Tony's was um, was started by a journalist and a TV show in the Netherlands about uh, 11 years ago right now. And um, this TV show um, is kind of like the food police on TV. So they will look into food products and kind of like figure out if there's any issues in the production or with the uh, ingredients of these products. And they'll start digging and calling these companies and asking questions. And mm-hmm. so about 12 or 13 years ago, they had heard about uh, the issues with child slavery in West Africa in the production of, uh, of cocoa. And they started to like, do some research and they found out that like, the large chocolate companies already in 2001 had committed to um, eradicate child slavery by signing this, uh, this Senate protocol but not much was being done. So um, at some point they were like trying to come up with ideas on like how to create some attention and awareness around this and decided that uh, the journalist would turn himself in for, um, for eating chocolate because in Holland, if you buy a stolen bicycle, knowingly that it was stolen, you can actually be, uh, be held liable for the crime. So he ate about 15 chocolate bars, and this was all on TV, and then called the police and said that he wanted to uh, turn himself in and get prosecuted. That's awesome. So it's a much longer story, obviously, but uh, this basically was on TV over the course of two years. And then um, when the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie was uh, released, well, re-released, they decided to to come out with, um, with a chocolate bar. Um, to kind of like show that they could make um, great chocolate at an af- affordable price without the use of illegal child labor. And so they um, they made 5,000 bars just to kind of like show that they could do it. And about 15,000 people in the first couple of hours signed up to buy these bars. Wow. And that basically then like launched the company. Wow. 
What a great story. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's an incredible story. And so in the, like the last 10 years, we've become uh, the largest chocolate company in the Netherlands. So we've had like a significant impact over there. Um, but okay, Holland is only so big. So, um, yeah, as of about the end of well, October 2015, we uh, decided to come to the United States and create awareness around these issues in West Africa here in the U.S. So that's a little bit of the background uh, about what we've been working on. It's so interesting that a journalist would find an issue that compelling to start a company mm. around it. Like, what do you think it was about the issue of making chocolate and how it was sourced and made that compelled him to start a company around that particular issue versus everything else he was digging into? Well, that's, that's a good question. And I think it was sort of like one thing led to another. Like this is never, when they started this, I don't think they could have imagined themselves that they would end up starting a chocolate company. Mm-hmm. And even when they made these 5,000 bars, the intention was not to start a chocolate company. It was all right. about creating awareness. And it's actually, a, it's a quite funny show. So they, they just like, they dig into this, like they, um, they have some fun with it. Like they don't take themselves too seriously, even though they're often addressing serious issues. And yeah, over the course of two years, it's like one thing led to another. And all of a sudden, they basically found themselves having started a chocolate company and um, yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily easy in the beginning, and that's uh, that's what they acknowledged uh, as well at some point when they realized, like, okay, wow, we're we're journalists, like we don't really know how to run a chocolate company. <laughs> so uh, we, we've had our our issues uh, with that over the course of uh, of ten years. I mean, they had no experience buying buying beans. Uh, they had no experience working in Africa. So um, yeah, it took it took a lot of effort in order to um, to really kind of like get this going. But then um, people just have really taken to it. And, Peter, that um, would be like me and that would be like um, that would be like me and Megan starting a chocolate company for my podcast. Totally right, you know, and like yeah, I mean, they were in the same correct. position. They knew nothing about doing this. You know, one of the things I'm curious about with something like this, uh, Peter, is just how rampant is the problem of slavery when it comes to chocolate? Like how, you know, I mean, like it, 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 are, are we talking about like, it, you know, most of the chocolate that we see in this world is, you know, especially from the stuff that we get from East Africa it, or West Africa, you said, uh, you know, is that where the main problem is? Yeah. So about 60, over 60% of the cocoa in the world is grown in West Africa. Um, so basically, if you eat um, chocolate um, and you're buying it, uh, you're buying a brand that is from like a larger chocolate company, you can be pretty certain that there's cocoa in there from, uh, from West Africa. And so in West Africa, there's two countries that really basically are the main producers, it's Ivory Coast and Ghana. And in those two countries, there's about 2 million children that work under illegal circumstances. And that can range from children that um, uh, have to work and are not being allowed to go to school, children that um, have to do dangerous work, and children that are truly trafficked and being bought and sold to work on the plantation, uh, plantations as slaves. So, yeah, two million. I mean, two million like kids. That's a crazy amount of children. The sad part is, like, the, the problem doesn't necessarily seem 
to get like any better as in like it's it's getting worse and like there's been some research that's been done every couple of years and yeah the situation isn't really improving so we really have to like put in like a serious effort in order to um yeah to reduce these issues it seems like your approach though is to pay more of a living a living wage and a premium to your chocolate producers is that how you're addressing the, the solution of childhood slavery is to just make adults more able to sustain themselves on a salary from their product? So our vision, and then this is like, this goes into a little bit about what we've been doing over the last 10 years. Um, our vision is 100% slave-free chocolate. So it's not just our chocolate that we want to make slave-free. We want to make all chocolate worldwide slave-free. And so we do that on the one hand by creating awareness around these issues, um, but also by really creating a model that we want other companies um, to follow. So in creating this model, we've been working with like one of like the largest chocolate companies in Belgium, and we created traceability in their supply chain. And that was one of the reasons why uh, the journalist couldn't be convicted when he um, asked to be prosecuted because they couldn't trace the uh, the chocolate bars back to the child slaves that had come in to testify. So we've created traceability into our supply chain system um, with this large chocolate manufacturer. And now we can go to like the large chocolate companies and say like, hey, listen, like we've done this. We, um, you, we work with this chocolate processor, uh, Barry Calvo in Belgium. You work also with them. You also buy cocoa from West Africa you can do the same. And so besides introducing traceability in the system um, that allows us to know who our farmers are, we indeed pay our farmers about 25% more than the world market price. And so that is significantly higher than what they, um, they get uh, on the, for example, fair trade or some other programs. And we, we try to base our premiums really on what we um, consider to be a living wage in Ghana and Ivory Coast for these farmers. And we've done studies on um, what that might be. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, um, it's really about um, eradicating or reducing the poverty of these families because that, um, to a large extent, is the root cause mm-hmm. of, um, of the child slavery issues in West Africa. And, you know, I think it's so interesting, too, uh, Peter, is I'm thinking to myself, like, what are the big chocolate companies doing about this? Are, I, I mean, I've never heard any of these companies addressing this type of issue like you're doing. Well, Kraft, Kraft has been doing stuff um, for years um, to address the poverty issue. Okay. Um, Perry Yateman used to work for Kraft Joe and mm-hmm. she worked on a project in which they were really trying to figure out because I think for them and probably for all chocolate producers, they were worried about just the sustainability of the, the you know, the future of the chocolate market, mm. because if farmers are not wanting to farm, if these kids don't want to farm, they don't want to grow up and do the farming because it's not a livable wage, then there goes the chocolate in the world. And, you know, I'm sure we're the number one consumer of chocolate, if I had to guess. Number one consumer so, of everything. I know Kraft has done some stuff, but what about other big companies, Peter? Are there, are there other so, companies getting on board? Are you working to educate them? Like, what, how, what's your role in all of that? So basically, like the large chocolate manufacturers um, in 2001 signed this Senate protocol, it's called the Harking Angle Protocol. Uh, and they said that by 2005, they would have made serious steps to eradicate child slavery in West Africa. And so every time we hit a deadline, 
they basically keep extending it. So I don't know where, where we are up to right now, but we do know that the problems in West Africa are only getting worse. Hmm. So the large companies are doing things, but it simply isn't enough. And um, maybe not the right things either. Um, we show that we can be commercially successful and pay a higher price to the farmers and help the farmers become more productive. And we know exactly who the farmers are. And I think that may be the first thing that we should introduce uh, into the system for everybody. Then you should know exactly where your product comes from. So you can take responsibility for the issues that are happening um, in West Africa mm -hmm. and not hide behind the fact that you don't exactly know where the cocoa is being produced. Right. So, yes, there are initiatives, but yes, the problem is getting worse. So um, I think the conclusion is that um, not enough is being done. Right. Now, um, here's, a, here's a question that you might know the answer to, Peter, and I'm really curious about this, is, you know, you see a lot, and I think this is obviously because of Starbucks, around fair trade with coffee beans and stuff like that. Has the coffee bean industry been more successive, successful? Do you point to them as, a, as an example or a model of what could occur in the chocolate industry? Me not knowing, of course, whether or not, I mean, I see a lot of visibility around coffee beans and fair trade, but I don't know That's whether those question. efforts have been really successful. I mean, do you point to it and say, hey, we can't address this problem because they're doing it with coffee beans? It's a good question, Joe. Right. Well, I, that is a good question, and I'm I'm not intimately familiar with the coffee industry, but I do recall that only a few months ago there were stories about um, slavery issues in the coffee industry mm -hmm. in South America mm -hmm. that also seemed to be kind of like surprising to um, to a lot of people and. Yeah, it's difficult for me to answer. We don't necessarily use the coffee industry as an example. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I can't say that uh, if it's any better in the coffee industry or um, or any worse. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to make any statements, um, statements on that. I just know what's happening in the cocoa industry. Yep. And I know that it's unacceptable that, um, yeah, any child slavery would be used in the production of cocoa for like making or chocolate bars. I'm curious to know how you communicate with your consumers because you, you have a chocolate bar, which is, first of all, it's got great packaging. It's very bright. It's very different from like a Hershey bar. And obviously the quality is very different from a Hershey bar. So I don't mean to compare it. However, you know, that's a hard story to tell on a teeny tiny chocolate bar. So are you, are you more working with your retailers to say, hey, this is why you should carry our bars and then, you know, relying on word of mouth to kind of get that message across or how are you communicating with people? Yes. Um, that, that's actually a great question. Um, we, well, I mean, obviously I work for Tony's Chocoloni, but I, um, I like to think that we make really good, great tasting chocolate. And I think a lot of people that have tasted the chocolate seem to, um, seem to agree. So we make great chocolate. Um, it's, um, relatively affordable. Like the, the chocolate bars are big, much bigger than what you generally Mm -hmm. get in the United States. So they're about like six ounce bars, which is double the size of a regular U.S. bar. Um, and they sell for about like $4.99 retail. And so um, people, like they see them in the stores, like it's fun packaging, it stands out and they're curious, they pick it up. And then we tell the story on the back of the bar as well as the inside of, um, of the wrapper. 
And yeah, we, we do indeed um, rely to a large extent on, um, on the word of mouth. Um, and it, it does seem that people generally are very excited about, um, about the chocolate, like both the quality, the value, and then, um, then our mission and what we are trying to do. So they do tend to like um, share the story with, um, with friends. And that's kind of like what we try to, uh, to promote. Like we say, like, well, these are um, large chocolate bars. Please share our chocolate and share the story. Oh, I like and that. in addition to that, yeah, we, we just hope, obviously, that we, um, we get um, interest from publications um, like yourselves to, um, to really carry our story to like a larger audience. What's the, you know, Peter, I'm curious, what's the challenges of something like that? Is it that, you know, that, that the uh, mainstream chocolate is so dominated by these large companies, it's hard for a smaller company like you to, to get the press and stuff like that? Have you found that a challenge, especially here in the United States? Well, I think we've been like relatively successful so far in getting, um, getting coverage. Um, like we are indeed small, and I think like one of the challenges that we've uh, we faced is that we um, we didn't have a lot of distribution until, um, or maybe until right now. I mean, we are just breaking into like the Midwest um, as well as like the the East Coast. So we started in Portland, Oregon, um, and that's really only like less than like what's well, about a year and a half ago. So. We've been growing quickly, but until you have um, distribution uh, kind of like across the country or mm -hmm. um, a significant number of states, most publications won't necessarily really um, want to like write about you because their um, their listeners or their readers um, are not able to um, to buy the chocolate. So I think right now we probably hit that threshold and we do uh, start to see a lot more interest. Um, from publications to um, to write about us or to um, yeah, do shows um, mm -hmm. with us and mm -hmm. and in, in Holland um, we we obviously we started on TV so from like the the early stages we've been kind of like um, the media darling there and um, yeah we've we've really grown by um, by word of mouth. Um, and by people being excited to um, to talk about um, to talk about what we what it is that we are trying to do, and it's yeah, it's it's hard to explain sometimes here in the US. I, I, don't, I can't think of a product here that sort of like generates the same excitement as what we have with um, with our chocolate bars mm -hmm. in the Netherlands. Right. Um, but I do see similar things happening here in um, in Portland, here on the West Coast. Um, if I take um, some of these chocolate bars um, out when I go uh, meet a friend for lunch and I, I leave them on my table, people will stop by and comment about it, how much they like the chocolate mm -hmm. or how much they appreciate the story. And then obviously when I tell when I, that I work for Tony's, um, we, uh, it's, it's like, yeah, we have interesting conversations. So I'm hoping what, what that you... as we grow, we, um, yeah, we get more attention. What would you say in the, the overall equation? You pointed out something really important earlier that Joe and I sometimes neglect to just emphasize. Um, and that is that the chocolate's really good. Like it has to be a good product. It doesn't matter if you have a great social impact story because if the chocolate doesn't taste good, nobody's going to buy it. Mm. So with that background, what would you say is the equation for your, as you're talking to vendors um, in terms of pricing competitiveness and quality of the chocolate 
um, as well as the social impact story? Like what what's most important to the buyers and where does that social impact piece fit in as you're talking to retailers? I really think it's a combination of four different things that you basically just hit upon. It's the quality of the chocolate, which is excellent, um, the packaging, which is really fun, um, the price point, um, which is um, oh, it's a, a six-ounce bar, so it's it's maybe higher on the shelf. But on a, there's nothing like it really on a price-per-ounce basis. And then the fact that people um, yeah, really get touched by um, by our story and our mission. So um, the fact that like those four things really um, yeah are are basically hitting it home uh, on every single uh, single item makes it for like a lot of buyers like um, a great product to um, put into their stores. Uh, they they like yeah, they like the fact that it's on the shelf and uh, stands out at a at a good price. So people really do pick it up and. Um, yeah, they obviously like having products with uh, not only just a story, but with a story like what we have. Again and again, I mean, it's interesting Megan brings up the question, too, because again and again, what we hear from people is the product has to be high quality and the cause is important, but people aren't going to pay, especially a premium for a product that doesn't meet their kind of expectations. It was interesting, uh, Peter, when we had the marketing person on from KindBuzz, they had said that they thought that cause contributed about 5% to the success of their business and that you know 95% were other reasons, including the quality of their product product and stuff. Would you kind of, if you had a handicap, uh, Tony's in that regard, would you say that it's that in terms of your success, it's five, 10, 15, 20% that explains your success with the bar? You know, I, I find it very difficult to, um, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a hard question. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, you know, yeah. it's interesting I, because I it, Peter, you know why I asked though is because we've gotten a lot of people on the show. We've asked that question before and people have, uh, I think what we've had Megan is in talking to people, we've had people all the way from as low as 5% to as high as I think one guest mentioned. Like 100%. 30, well, uh, well, I, I, I specifically remember well, someone mattresses. mentioning 30. Oh, well, that's true. The, the mattresses. mattresses. But I remember remember people mentioning like 35%, 25% and stuff like that. So that's why I asked something like that. But I realize it's it's not totally a fair question because it's hard to really right. uh, put that out there. But that's what we're here for, to ask the so, tough questions. Right. You know? <laughs> so I, 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 think, I think we would be successful um, no matter what almost. Like in, in Holland, at some like about a year and a half ago, we realized that um, there were a lot of people that um, just thought of us as the, the really fun, tasty uh, chocolate company. And they didn't know enough about um, our background and about what we were trying to accomplish. So right. we uh, then started a serious campaign to really make people um, understand what it is that we're trying to do. And um, over here, I think we're getting started maybe a little bit heavier on the serious side because that really helps us to get the word of mouth going. Um, we do feel that when people learn about the serious side of the um, equation, that they, um, yeah, they'll, they'll talk to their friends about it. So right now, I would say that like, yeah, maybe a quarter of the success is, um, can maybe attributed to uh, the fact that we are a socially responsible company trying to um, really change the chocolate industry. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it's 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 interesting how it kind of like shifts. I mean like 
we, we say that we're crazy about chocolate, serious about people. And, and sometimes we may uh, lean a little bit more to the crazy side. Sometimes we have to like bring it back and, um, and express the, uh, the serious side because at the end of the day, um, our goal is not to just sell a lot of chocolate. It's really about getting like the big chocolate players in the industry to change the way they do business and to really seriously work towards eradicating child slavery. Well, Peter, this has all been so interesting. Thank you so, so much for sharing a little bit about Tony's Chocolonely's story with us and our listeners. Where can people find out more about you or the company online if they'd like to do that? So, yeah, we, we have a website as well as um, a web shop. So you can find out, uh, you can find more information about uh, the company as well as actually a video on how it was started by going to, uh, to tonyschocolonely.com. Um, then we have um, a Facebook uh, page, um, and we, uh, that's like Tony Chocolonely US. Um, and then Instagram is like Tony Chocolonely underscore US. Uh, and we're on Twitter as well with uh, Tony Choco US. Um, in addition to that, there's actually um, a great documentary that has been going around the uh, international film festivals here in the US. It's a documentary that was made by uh, the same team that worked on the TV show um, 12 years ago. And so it, it's, it's already played in like Cleveland, Minneapolis, um, in New York. It will still be, I think, in Sonoma and some, uh, some others. Um, we have a screening in, uh, in L.A. next week. And so my, my hope is that either this will go into theaters so people can learn about uh, how it was started and what has happened since our launch. Um, or it will maybe go on to like, uh, something like, uh, like a streaming service um, where it's, it's easily accessible for people. Um, so, yeah, um, please, like, I invite all your listeners to, um, to learn more about what it is that we're trying to do. And um, the video on the website, is, it's a three-minute video, and it's... Um, it's a, it's a fun video to watch. It's kind of like a crazy story, but um, it, it, it basically summarizes in, in short in a great way what, um, what we just spoke about. Excellent. Well, we will include some of those links in the show notes. Joe, what about you? Where can people find you online? Um, People can find me on Twitter at Joe Waters. They can also visit me at SelfishGiving.com. Make sure to sign up for my email newsletter and get my five-day cause marketing e-course. And also on Pinterest, like Tony's, I'm a visual brand. Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also online on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com, as Joe just mentioned. And of course, we would be remiss if we did not ask you to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes if you do not do so already. We're also on Google Play and other places you find podcasts. So please be sure to subscribe so you do not miss an episode. And on behalf of Peter and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio. And we'll talk to you next time. 